0: sweet, Isn't it so sweet? Well, everyone who steps into this pulpit is on assignment. We don't take this um, lightly. You know, we seek God for what he once said, and the same is true for me. I have a certain assignment tonight And I want to start in, I just want to exhort you with John 16, verse 12 and 13. This is amazing to me, but Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. These are Holy Spirit nights, right? So tonight, in maybe a little bit different way than maybe you were expecting on a Holy Spirit night, we're going to have this verse. There was a time when Jesus couldn't tell them everything he wanted to tell them, but he said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to reveal some things to you. So that's what I'm believing for tonight. That's what I believe. He's going to take us deeper and higher. Amen? Amen. Amen. I believe tonight, how many of you want to level up? Don't we want to, I want to level up. I mean, if we get a prophetic word that says highest levels attainable, that's where I want to go. So I just believe tonight we're going to level up. I believe we're going to, for some of us, maybe it'll be a game changer. Amen. And, if I, and if everything I say tonight you've already heard, then I believe it's going to be seed for someone you're going to run into this week, Amen. this weekend, something that the Holy Spirit says tonight. Amen. I want to start off just by rereading the list that Pastor gave us on Sunday, because we're going into 2024, and we know the word of the Lord is that we are going to be progressing and advancing and seeing our highest expectations fulfilled, right? And so Pastor gave us um, six things that are our HFCC mandate to progress and advance. And he said, number one was a deep commitment to God. Number two was a life of prayer, worship, and praise. Number three was devoted to the word of God. Number four was a firm reliance on the Holy Spirit. Number five was a strong devotion to one another with love, unity, and generosity. And number six was have a compelling desire to see the lost come to Christ. Hallelujah. I think those are a good six. What do you think? Yeah, really good six. So let's start with one. Number one, a deep commitment to God. A deep commitment to God. You know, I think commitment is just another word for love, right? Because when we love someone, we make a commitment, right? In marriage, that's what we do. And I think a deep love for God, for us, of course, is born out of thankfulness. Because if you never even think about, I mean, 1 John four nineteen says we love him because he first loved us. <laughs> right? So our deep love is born out of the fact that he loved us first. Yeah. And he proved it, right? And so a deep love for us is born out of thankfulness for what he has done, for his love for us. And so we have to take time all the time to think about what he's done for us. He, he's amazing. We just sang it. He's amazing. His love is so wide and deep and great. There's so much he wants to tell us and reveal to us and see us walk in. There's nothing in your life you want that he doesn't want for you more. You know, n- nothing. You know, I think of great movies I've seen. Like Braveheart. Have you ever, anybody ever seen Braveheart? Yeah, I wouldn't even know the name William Wallace if it wasn't for Braveheart. <laughs> Well, yeah, right? But, um, you know, you, you get to that final scene where they've got him, you know, and he's laid out on the table and they're going to kill him and you know he's, he's going to die. And he, I don't know about you, but I, I just it just makes me cry. Not because he's, not necessarily because he's dying, but because he's so willing to die for what he believes in. He's so willing to die for something that will make a difference for the next generation. There was a time in my life when I would go into the Easter season. And you know how you would like, Jesus died. And you're like, it's Easter. But it was like, somewhere there just wasn't that connection. Maybe I was young. That revelation of his sacrifice for me. It was like I could go into Easter and not be, like, moved. Like, how can I cry at William Wallace and not cry at Jesus? You know what I'm saying? And so I went to God, and I was like, Lord, I don't understand why this. Like, I need, I think I need, Lord, a revelation of this, because it's not moving my heart. And it it should be touching my heart. Like, he suffered. And I, like, knew that logically, but somewhere it just was, like, disconnected. And I mean, you all might think this is crazy, but I mean, right after that, Passion of the Christ came out, the movie. That changed everything for me. To see it, I mean, I felt like God answered my, I mean, I know he did it, but I felt like he answered my single solitary prayer that I needed revelation of that. I needed to see it. And that's like a William Wallace moment, you know, to see what Jesus suffered for me. We love him because he first loved us. Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice was it because he believed in us. Like William Wallace. He believed so much in freedom that he was willing to die for it. Jesus believed so much in us that he was willing to die for us. He believed that we were worth it. He, he believed it was worth it. It was worth it. What he was doing was worth it because it was going to change everything for those after him. That was his sacrifice. You know, I, I like it in the Passion Translation. I think it's the book of John that um the writer writes when he talks about Jesus, Jesus Christ or Jesus the Anointed One or sometimes it'll say Jesus The victorious. (laughs) I just like that. Jesus, the victorious, because he so was for us. I love that. And in Romans 4 16, it says that Jesus did that so that the promise would be sure to all the seed. Because up until that time, they were living under a covenant of works, of law. And some things were only available if you lived right. You had to do it all right. You know, there was mercy, yes, and things like that, but it was a different law. But once Jesus did what he did, he opened a new and living way, the Bible says. And the promise was now not something we would never be able to do. It says the promise was sure to all the seed. Why? Because any one of us can believe it. It's not ability anymore. All you have to do is believe it. The Bible calls it righteousness by faith. It was a righteousness that came by faith. So it was sure to anyone who would just believe it. So easy. So it was sure to all the seeds. So I love that. I love that. But let's turn to Hebrews 5. That's where we're going to start or go next. Hebrews chapter 5. I'm like, which Bible do I read first? Hebrews chapter 5. Remember, it's good. we're going to level up tonight. It's going to be a game changer. You got your faith up? Okay. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to read verses 12 and 13, maybe 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay. So, to me, this verse, I mean, hello, if we're talking about advancing, this becomes a pretty important verse. Because Paul is saying, you should be advancing already, and for some reason you're not. You stayed babies, and you shouldn't be. You should be growing by now. Right? And so what's the cause? Well, let's look at verse 13 again. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. Say unskilled. Unskilled Unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now he could have said anything right there. He could have said unskilled in the gospel. He could have said unskilled in the word of faith. He could have said anything, but he said unskilled in the word of righteousness. Let me read it in the let me read it real quick in the passion translation. Hebrews 5:12 and 13. For you should already be professors, instructing others by now, but instead you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You're like children, still needing milk and not yet ready to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. And they have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. One of the prayers that actually I was praying one day and it just, you know how things come out of your spirit that did not come out of your head. And then once you say it, you knew it was straight Holy Ghost. When I was praying one day, I said the words heaven level understanding, heaven level understanding. And so I've been praying that ever since. Lord, give me heaven level understanding. Give our church heaven level understanding. But let me go back to this verse. So let's just talk. Let's break it down just a little. So everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's a babe. So let's talk about that. So when I looked up this word, he is a babe, first of all, the, the Hebrew form or Greek form is only used in the emphatic. So when he says he's a babe, he's saying, you're a baby. Like Emphatically. This isn't Nikki talking. You know what I'm saying? So if we're not skilled, skillful in the word of righteousness, we're babies. And we're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to be advancing, progressing, right? So that's why I think God has us on this tonight. And it's his love that's going to make us aware. Because we're leveling up. Say, I'm leveling up. up. I'm leveling up. Okay. So what do we know? So unskilled in the word of righteousness, a baby, emphatically a baby, will Babies can't talk. And notice it says word of righteousness. So definitely something is wrong with how we're talking. Because we have to be skillful. Babies aren't skillful. Right? So we have to move to a place where we're getting skillful. Skillful with the word of righteousness. Babies speak gibberish. Right, Vic? Gibberish. Gibberish. I mean, you you talk back. Oh, go 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 go! <laughs> but you're not talking, and neither are they, right? It's just gibberish. And when we're not talking, the word—that's what it is. It's just gibberish. All right. yeah. Especially if it's not the word of righteousness. Let me give you an example. Y'all are gonna love me tonight, right? You're gonna love me. And when I'm done tonight, you're still gonna love me. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. A baby, somebody not skillful, not you, somebody not skillful in the word of righteousness says gibberish things like you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Do you want to know why that's gibberish? Because that's law. That's not righteousness. And we don't talk law anymore. Of course you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Who doesn't know that? But why wouldn't a Christian want to go to church? That's gibberish. That's, you're unskillful. It's unskillful to talk like that. Because we're not under that, that anymore. That's not how we talk. We don't talk about having to meet requirements. We're, we're way beyond that. Way beyond that. We're not babies anymore. When you're babies, you have requirements. Right? Your parents tell you what time to be home. Hopefully when you grow up, you figure it out. For yourself. What time to be home. There's a certain time at night where it's just kind of stupid to still be out. If you're going to work the next day, or pastor can thank me later, church... On Sunday, you only stay up to a certain time on Saturday night. Because why? You don't want to be tired of church. You grow up. You advance. You progress. You figure it out. Right? We're not babies anymore. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 5 that we're given the gift of righteousness. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Father God. Because we couldn't earn it on our own. We kept falling short. Also, Romans 3 was this gift of righteousness that's given to us but as we mature we're actually supposed to put it on and walk in it and live in it see when you when you when you just begin in this thing called righteousness you've been we learn things like You've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus did. And you're so thankful now you're righteous. You are the righteous. And nothing will ever change that. You are the righteous. However, it should cause you to live righteously. This understanding that you are righteous. And so as you grow, you grow into that. And then the Bible says you reign in life. Romans five 17, you've been given the gift of righteousness and grace to reign in life. So again, if we're not reigning in life, we're babies. Babies don't reign in life, right? So we have to become skillful in this word of righteousness so we can reign in life because that's where God's taking us and needs us to be. And that's how this thing's going to end up. Those who are doing the word, which this is, will be that glorious church when Jesus comes back. Which we all want. We just sang, here comes the glory, right, of the Lord. We all want it. Don't be laughing at my singing over there. (laughs) Worship team. That's why you're the worship team and I am not. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Um, Let's go to Romans 10. And I'm going to stay in the Passion Translation, Rashida. Romans 10. And I'm kind of going to go line upon line tonight. Romans 10, I'm going to start writing verse 1. My beloved brothers and sisters, the passionate desire of my heart... I feel like I'm talking to you. Can you hear Nikki in that? The passionate desire of my heart and constant prayer to God is for my fellow... Now, he says Israelites. I'll say Crowleyans. (laughs) Is for my fellow Crowleyans to experience salvation. To actually experience salvation. I was talking to my son... And he had a really rough day, one day this past week, and he, he's in South Africa, for you, those of you that don't know and have been wondering where he is for the last eight months. He's in South Africa, and he said he had a really hard day, and he really, like, woke up heavy and, like, almost couldn't walk, and it was hard for him to breathe, and it was just, and it was like, he, and he knew it was spiritual. And... Um, he was telling me about what he did, you know, he, he prayed, and he, he went to the ministry where he works, and he went about his day, but then he, and he put on praise music, and, but then he called a couple people, text them, he texted a couple of people, one from here, and one from somewhere else, and he told them, you know, I need you to pray for me, something's going on, I'm being attacked, I need, I don't usually do this, but, you know, I need support, I need support, and, uh, I said to him, Drew, I said, do you know what you... Ex-? And then he's like, and, and I was like, so did you win? And he's like, yeah, I won. And I said, good, you know, and, and um, we rejoiced over it. And I said, you know what you experienced? And he goes, what? And I said, you experienced salvation. I reminded him, we are, the Bible calls us, says that we have an inheritance of salvation. That means we have rights to deliverance, rescue, all the time. It's our inheritance. All the time, it's our right to be delivered and to be rescued whenever we need it. And that's experiencing salvation. Of course, you can't lay aside your weapons and your armor. And I reminded him of that too. You know, you've got truth that you cling to. And you've got faith. And you've got... (laughs) Righteousness, Remembering that you are righteous. You are righteous. You are a child of the Most High God. Amen. And you fight with all of those things. And of course, praying always, right? With all prayer. All right. So it's my heart and constant prayer to God for my fellow Crowleyans to experience salvation. For I know that although they are deeply devoted to God, remember that's number one on pastor's list, to be deeply devoted to God, they are even though... They are deeply devoted to God. They are unenlightened. That's where we don't want to be. And so this is written for our admonition. This is so we don't experience this. And since they've ignored the righteousness that God gives, wanting instead to be acceptable to God because of their own works, they've refused to submit to God's faith righteousness. That's a mouthful. Yeah. They've ignored the righteousness that comes by faith, which really means you've ignored the sacrifice of Jesus because that's what afforded it to us for, righteous, for righteousness by works. And all of us can slip back into that. You can choose not to even believe it. That's what the Israelites did. Well, no, that's too easy. That's not what God would want. We're used to this thing by works. And those of us that grew up, any kind of denomination or anything like that, you may have grown up that way, that it was by works. You know, they didn't really say that, but you certainly felt it. Like, you know, God was going to get you if you didn't. Well, that's not true. That's not true. So they were unenlightened concerning righteousness by faith, and they wouldn't accept righteousness by faith. A righteousness that comes by faith. They refused to submit to God's faith righteousness, which is entirely why Jesus came. That was entirely why Jesus came, was to give us a righteousness by faith, so that it would be sure to all the seed. All right, let me skip ahead. Let's go to verse eight. But the faith righteousness we receive speaks to us in these words. God's living message is very close to you, as close as your own heart beating in your chest and as near as the tongue in your mouth. And what is God's living message? It is the revelation of faith for salvation, which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. You want an experience? It's in your mouth and in your heart. If I was to ask you to honestly answer this question, how many of you with your mouth publicly declared that Jesus is Lord? Don't answer. Today, maybe some of us would raise our hand. Maybe not. I hope. I don't know. I don't even know if I did. But that's how close this experience of salvation is. That we publicly declare Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We experience salvation. I mean, stop for just a minute and think about Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean, I know we all know that. I mean, duh, we're in church, we've been in church, we celebrate every Easter. But Jesus, a human, just like you and me, died. They put him in a tomb, and three days later, he was alive. Amen. Praise God. So see how close that experience of salvation can be? Because if you can remember that, what can God not do for you? That's your God. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead is your God. There's nothing too difficult for him. Nothing. Nothing too far gone what's more gone than dead? (laughs) Nothing you're dealing with right now is that far gone if you're sitting in this room breathing. So when you publicly confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, what if in every situation that we came up against, that was our first response? And then resurrection power entered the room. What if? Let's all try it. So, let's keep reading. Oh, I like this one too. Oh, let's just keep reading. Verse 10, I mean, it's a good one. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of the righteousness of God. And then the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. See, it's about that word. Your words are so important. That's how deliverance, rescue, salvation, healing comes. Your mouth. Skillful. Remember, we're talking about being skillful. What are you saying when it comes? What are you saying? Skillful. 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 We are a skillful church. We are a skillful church. For the scriptures encourage us with these words. Everyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. Now, do you believe that? We will never be disappointed. I have it written in my notes. I know I'm supposed to say it. And you're going to love me. You're going to love me. Do you know why people sleep around? Because they're unskillful. They're unskillful in the word of righteousness. They're unskillful in righteousness. Oh, my heart's beating fast. Because when you're unskillful in righteousness, you have to go all the way back to the basics, the Bible says. What's the basics? Faith in God. Hold on, let's turn there. Go back. Let's turn over to, um, well, we're right. Are you still in Hebrews? Did you keep your finger in Hebrews? Remember when we were reading about being unskillful in the word of righteousness? You have to have your senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The very next verse, Hebrews 6.1, says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, advancing, growing, maturing, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So why do people sleep around? Because they're unskillful in righteousness. So they have to go all the way back to the beginning of faith in God. And he will never disappoint See, most people do things that we call sin because the real sin was unbelief. If you don't believe you're going to get a spouse God's way, you'll sleep around. That's why you have to go all the way back to faith in God. So you're just, you still have to go back there and learn that you can trust him. You can rely on him. And if you do things his way, you will never be disappointed. From my own life, I can honestly tell you, and I'm sure you can too, every time you've done it God's way, you've never been sorry. But every time you haven't, whoa. Right? That's the truth. That's the truth. All right. But we will never, if we believe in him, we will never be disappointed. That is the word of God in black and white on your pages. Bank it, believe it, own it, use it, declare it. Yeah. 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 Amen. All right. Let's move. Let me see. I'm trying to stick way to my notes tonight. Let's go to verse 14. But how can people call on him for help if they've not yet believed? And how can they believe in one they've not yet heard of? And how can they hear the message of life if there is no one there to proclaim it? And how can the message be proclaimed if messengers have yet to be sent? I'm going to skip down to verse 17. Faith, then, is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. So we're talking about righteousness. Romans 3 tells us this righteousness of faith is a righteousness that comes apart from the law. So you can't mix them up. They don't mix. It's like oil and water. You can't have both. You can only have one. And the one came to replace the other. So that is a defunct system. It's never going to work. That's why this one came. Righteousness by faith. for those of you going deeper I'm going to insert something right here because we have to trust in God in order to live in righteousness because we that's who we are but we're supposed to put it on and live in it so I'm kind of reviewing and walk in it walk as a righteous Hebrews in Hebrews 7 see the bible says everything for a reason there's nothing it says not for a reason and I know this is going to sound weird right here, but stick with me. In Hebrews 7, the Bible brings up Melchizedek, who was a high priest during the time of Abraham. And he compares Melchizedek to Jesus. And they're talking about it. But in all, Because he was a high priest. And he says of Melchizedek, but remember, we're kings and priests. The Bible declares that we're kings and priests. He says of Melchizedek, Not accidentally. Let me turn there. I'm right here. He talks about Melchizedek and he said, to whom Abraham gave a tenth of all, first being translated king of righteousness. Melchizedek was first king of righteousness and then king of peace. The reason I bring this up is because I'm not sure you can have peace apart from righteousness. In fact, I know you can't. If we could have peace apart from righteousness, Jesus would have never had to come. Righteousness comes first. And so if we are not experiencing righteousness, if we're not experiencing peace, guess what we're also probably not walking in? Righteousness. If you're not walking in your righteousness you probably won't have peace. And that's why sin doesn't go well. Because sin isn't righteousness. And so if we persist in sin, or if we persist to live according to the law, we're not going to have peace. It's just not going to happen. And God wants us to have peace. He bought us righteousness so we could live in it and walk in it. The Bible says, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. Why does he say that? Because sometimes if you love someone else, you'll do something you won't do for you. I mean, isn't that true? Like, if you're hurting someone else, you'll stop, but if you're hurting you, sometimes you won't. So crazy. But that's what love does. Now you have to love yourself enough to stop, too. But I think you understand what I'm saying. So these verses, now that you're understanding righteousness and the desire to walk in it, and we have to be skillful in this thing called righteousness, that we are righteous by faith, by believing God. And when we believe his word... That's why he says, obey my commandments, because when we become skillful in doing this, now that we have the power to do it, then we reign in life. We're no longer babies. We're going to advance. The Bible says we're destined to be conformed to the image of the sun. Yes. Well, the sun was the living word. Yes. Years ago, I, I was attending a conference at um, Kenneth Copeland Ministries And I had gotten back to my hotel room, and I think I, I don't remember if it was the morning or the afternoon, I don't remember where it was. But I know I was in my hotel room, and I had gotten, I think Eric was napping, and I had gotten up to pray, and I was praying. And the Lord, I remember him telling me that you can be the living word. Not the living word, but the living word. Because we're destined to be conformed to the image of the Son, who was the living word. So, everything this word says, Jennifer, you can do. You can be the living this for you and to others. So, when he says, How can people call on him for help if they've not yet believed? And how can they believe in one they've not yet heard of? And how can they hear the message of life if there's no one to proclaim it? Part of the message tonight is to tell you, You're sent. Now you know. I'm here to teach it tonight. Now you're sent to take it. This message of righteousness to other people. That's how they're going to reign in life. There is no reigning in life apart from receiving the gift of righteousness. There is no reigning in life apart from receiving the gift of righteousness. And part of that gift is to unwrap it and use it. Be it. Live it. Walk in it. As the righteous. If Jesus wouldn't do it, don't you do it. Not out of law, but because you can. You've been given the gift of righteousness. The Bible tells us you are no longer slaves of sin. You're slaves of righteousness. Which means, yes, you can do this. In fact, you're supposed to be enslaved to it. You're never supposed to go outside it, ever. Conform to the image of the Son, just like Jesus. Just like him. You are just like him. So let's grow up and act like it. We're not gonna get offended. We're love people. You know what offended means? I love you. It means you were overcome by evil. You didn't win. You lost. If Carol and I are in a disagreement, that's one thing. But if I get offended by her, I didn't lose to Carol. I lost to Satan. Which is the bigger deal? That's why the Bible says don't be overcome by evil. Guys, we're above such things, we're skillful. We are skillful, we are winners. We are winners. We are winning in life. Winning in life. We're not going to get duped. We are winning in life. We're winners. I'm a winner. Vic, you're a winner. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I am not losing to a loser. All right. I'm going to go back to Romans 10. And we're going to go back to verse 18. And I'm going to read this because this was was the lesson of the Israelites. And the reason it's written is because if it happened to them, it can happen to us. Right? So we're supposed to learn from them. So, can it be that Israel hasn't heard the message about righteousness by faith? No, they've heard it. <laughs> for the, don't you love when the Bible just calls you out like that? No, no they've heard it. For, for the voice has been heard throughout the world, and its message has gone to the ends of the earth. So again, I ask, didn't Israel already understand that God's message was for others as well as for themselves? Yes, they certainly did understand that. (laughs) For Moses was the first to state it. I will make you jealous of a people who are nobodies. And I will use people with no understanding to provoke you to anger. That was us. Because the message came to us after they rejected it. But remember, this is a lesson for us. If we don't receive this message, it will go to other nobodies. Church, I'm going to skip ahead to chapter 11, and I'm going to start in verse 2. God has not rejected his chosen, destined people. Are you a chosen, destined person? Me too. Haven't you heard Elijah's testimony in the scriptures and how he prays to God, agonizing over Israel, those who have rejected this message, this righteousness by faith? Lord, they've murdered your prophets, they've demolished your altars, Now I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me. So if you think you're the only one being righteous, you're the only one doing everything right. Lord, the message of righteousness came, and they aren't doing it. They're living however they want. I'm the only one. I feel like I'm the only one, Lord. Well, you're not the first. Elijah felt the same way about God's people. And what did God say? What was the revelation? God spoke to him in response. You are not alone. I have preserved a remnant for myself, 7,000 others who are faithful and have refused to worship Baal. And that is but one example of what God is doing in this age of fulfillment. For God's grace empowers his chosen remnant. So when you choose to live according to the righteousness that you've been given, according to a righteousness that comes by faith in God, that means you live differently, means you live like the son of God, God's grace empowers that chosen person. And since it is by God's grace, it can't be a matter of their good works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift of grace, earned by human, but earned by human effort. So then... Israel failed to achieve what it had strived for, but the divinely chosen remnant receives it by grace. Man, I'm so thankful, aren't you? So thankful. All right, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 11. So, am I saying that Israel stumbled so badly and they will never get back up? So people that rejected this, that say... They don't, let's face it, there's some people out there saying that grace is so great that I don't have to live right. Well, that's not skillful. You're not being skillful. So am I saying that they stumbled so badly that they will never get back up? Certainly not. Rather, it was because of their stumble that salvation now extends to all the non-Jewish people in order to make Israel jealous and desire the very things that God has freely given them. Why am I bringing this up? It's about Jews because this is the lesson of Israel that's for our admonishment. If it happened to them, it can happen to me. If it happened to them, it can happen to you. If we don't become skillful in righteousness, somebody will. And then you'll look at them, and the Bible says you'll be jealous. And then maybe you'll have the desire for the very things that God freely gave you, which was what? Righteousness. The Bible says they're going to call them the holy people. So any of us that thinks holiness isn't important, there's going to come a day that God says they'll be called the holy people. So there will rise up a generation that's going to walk this righteousness thing out. And they're going to find out that they are just like Jesus and they can do anything he did and anything he didn't want to do, they don't have to do like sin. They are no longer slaves of sin. So that generation will rise up. And if we aren't that generation, if we decide not to be a part, we're going to look at them, be jealous, and then maybe finally grab hold of this gift of righteousness and start to reign in life. But wouldn't you rather be the one that shows the other people how to do it? I mean, I would. We've been taught good enough long enough. Haven't we, Heritage, to be those people? I think so. And to tell them, to be the set ones, to tell them about righteousness, if you'll just grab hold of this righteousness thing, you will reign in life, and you will have peace. Because righteousness precedes peace. All right, let me see. Are you enjoying it? All right, let's go to verse 15. For if their temporary, thank God, rejection, released You guys are going to love this verse. Are you ready to love a verse? (laughs) For if their temporary rejection released the reconciling power of grace into the world. Isn't that just like God? You say no thank you and all it does is release a power of grace into the world? That's my God. It released the reconciling power of grace into the world. What will happen? When Israel, or those who've rejected this message, is reinstated and reconciled to God. It will unleash resurrection power throughout the whole earth. So if there have been any of us who have rejected this thing called righteousness and living righteously and living holy and thought it wasn't important... If we come back and be reinstated and reconciled to God in this matter, he says resurrection power will be released in the whole world. Wow. Wow. Ooh, Maybe I should keep reading. Pastor, you should like this one, the very next verse. Since Abraham and the patriarchs patriarchs are consecrated and set apart for God. What did pastor say we were in a season of? Set apart. Being set apart. Since Abraham and the patriarchs are consecrated and set apart for God, so also will their descendants be. That's us. We are set apart for God. That's why we do this thing called righteous. We are set apart for God. If the roots of a tree are holy and set apart for God, so too will be the branches. Let's go back, let's go down to verse 19. Wait, hold on, let me check my notes. I don't want to get ahead. Oh, let's go to verse 17. However, some of the branches have been pruned away, and you who were once nothing. More than a wild olive branch. You were wild. You were wild, Christy. You were wild. You were a wild olive branch. God grafted you in. Isn't that true? Thank God he grafted us in. It wasn't just for Israel. It extended to us all. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. God grafted us in, inserting you among the remaining branches as a joint partner to share in the wonderful richness of the cultivated olive stem. So don't be so arrogant as to believe that you are superior to the natural branches. There's no reason to boast for the new branches don't support the root, but you owe your life to the root that supports you. You might begin to think that some branches were pruned or broken off just to make room for you. Yes, that's true. They were removed because of their unbelief. Warning, warning, warning. I'm too old for the show, but Will Robinson, warning. <laughs> removed because of their unbelief. If it happened to them, it can happen to us. But remember this. You are only attached by your faith. So don't be presumptuous, but stand in awe and reverence. Since God didn't spare the natural branches, and you know He loves them, He loves them. Since God didn't spare the natural branches that fell into unbelief, don't think perhaps He won't spare you either. So, what do we do? Fix your gaze. On the simultaneous kindness and strict justice of God. How severely he treated those who fell into unbelief. Yet how tender and kind is his relationship with you. So keep on trusting in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. So I like the next verse. It says, turn from clinging to their unbelief to embracing faith. It's just about believing. Believing. We have to watch our believing. There's a verse, and maybe I'll come across it, that says we're supposed to... Oh, it's in... Let me turn. It's in Romans 12. In the Passion Translation, it says to activate our gifts by using the proportion of our faith. So we're supposed to use our faith to activate our gifts, right? But then there's a verse up above. It's um, 12 verse 3. These numbers are getting smaller and smaller. Instead, it says, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. Your faith is your standard of measurement of how you're doing, of who you are, not who you are like you're a child of God, but how you're doing, your assessment. Don't assess yourself because, wow, I know what the Bible says, and, and I've been visited by angels and I have prophetic dreams at night, and I can pray long prayers, and no, how's your faith? How's your faith? How's your faith? Are you using faith on a daily basis? Faith. That's how we assess ourselves. And especially this faith for righteousness. Because if the devil can come beat us up every day because we didn't do something right, we're not operating in the faith in our righteousness. The faith in what Jesus purchased for us. Your worth is not in whether you messed up. Your worth is in what Jesus did and you believed it. And that's what's helping you not mess up so much. And you're advancing and progressing and getting better all the time. Until one of these days you're going to wake up and find out you are not having that hard a time anymore. You are looking just like Jesus. Wow. And Why? Because of the root of the tree. Feeding life to all the branches. So good. Thank you, Lord. All right. So, verse 22. Fix your mind simultaneously on his kindness and strict justice. Keep trusting in his kindness. Embracing faith, verse 23 says. And then let's skip to verse 30. You who are not Jews were once rebels, you rebels, you were once rebels, you're not rebels anymore, we're not rebels anymore, not against God, we're not, you who are not Jews were once rebels against God, but now, because of their disobedience, you have experienced God's tender mercies, haven't we experienced that? I love having experiences with God, I'm so glad my experiences with him make me better, I'm so glad my experiences with him are tender (laughs) when he corrects me. I mean, sometimes he may still say it, like, directly, but it's still for my benefit. So it's tender. You know what I'm saying? Have experienced God's tender mercies, and now they are the rebels. And because of God's tender mercies to you, you can open the door to them. Isn't that amazing? So even Jews... Those who haven't received this message of righteousness by faith, because you're walking it out and you're experiencing the fruit of it and you're experiencing salvation, you can open the door to them to let them back in, to share in and enjoy what God has given to us. Actually, God considers all of humanity to be prisoners of their unbelief. See, when you come up against a jerk, at work just realize they're a prisoner of unbelief. That should move you to mercy. That should make you feel sorry for them, compassion for them. Why? Cuz you're a slave of righteousness. You're not offended. You're not a slave of sin. You can open the door to them. And then Romans 12.1. We'll just keep reading. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? To surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. Holiness is for our benefit. <laughs> Because God wants to get us everything, everything, period. He wants to get us everything. It delights his heart to be able to give to you. But sometimes we have to surrender to his ways. Matthew six thirty three. 33. And all, you know, you know. I would say real close to that is in all my ways, acknowledge him. In all my ways, acknowledge him. He's going to direct my paths, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You will never be disappointed. You will never be disappointed by doing it God's way. Never. Never. He promises, you will never be, in my life, and I'm sure in your life, if you took a moment to think about it, you've never been disappointed when you've done it his way. He's faithful. He's faithful. He'll come through to you, come through for you. So it goes on, and it says, So stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. So I know it's really great when we come in here and we have sweet, sweet worship. And God touches our hearts and and our hearts reach out to God. I love those times. And I'm like, when's the next worship night, Nanny? And by the way, it's in November. I love it, I love to worship my God. He's so worthy. To pour out love to him is a privilege. But if we want Holy Spirit nights Then we have to realize anything we do Whether it's worship or the word It's going to inwardly Transform us And that's the goal That's the goal Inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit Through a total Reformation of how you think To advance and progress It's going to take changing how we think Because changing how we think Will change how we do things And how we do things matters in this life. It matters. I mean, even Jesus said don't. Jesus himself didn't return reviling for reviling. Why? Because it doesn't work. He wanted results. He wanted fruit. That would remain. So what do you do? Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Why? Because we want God results. And we're open doors, opener, door openers <laughs> to people. And I don't mean physical doors, but we're supposed to be the ones opening the door for them to come to God. And so we can't get caught up in, like, earth-level stuff. We're heaven-sent. We're ambassadors of the king. Ministers of reconciliation, the Bible says. Recon- reconciling them to God so that they can experience peace. Oh my gosh! Anyway, so don't forget, pastors, six points. And if you want something else to read, read Romans 12, 9 through 20. Can I give you homework? Deborah's like, uh, not me. I'm past that age. I could see it on your face. I'm just saying. All right, Romans 12. Romans 12, 9. You just never know what you can see from up here. Romans 12, Romans 12, 9 through 20. That's your homework. It's going to go right with pastors, six points, and you're going to love it. Read it in the Passion Translation. If you don't have a Passion Translation, get it on your phone. Go to your Bible app. Go to the Passion Translation. Read it. Amen. We're going to be transformed. We're going to progress. We're going to level up. Game changer. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. Pastor, sorry.